Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's a vibe shift in Washington. The lead starts right now. Speaker Nancy Pelosi stepping aside as the head of House Democrats. I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Other top Democrats are also stepping aside as Pelosi makes her historic announcement and Republicans naming the president's son Hunter as target number one. And former Vice President Mike Pence telling CNN the January 6th committee has no right to his testimony. A member of that committee joins us to respond. Plus, the bankruptcy that has thrown the entire crypto market into a tailspin. The 30-year-old former executive drawing comparisons to Bernie Madoff, with big-name celebrities dragged into the financial meltdown. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Brianna Keeler. Jake Tapper is on assignment. We begin with the end of an era in Washington. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing today she is stepping down as leader of the Democratic caucus after serving for 20 years in that role. Pelosi was the first woman to lead a political party in either chamber of Congress, the first woman to serve as Speaker of the House. Never would I have thought that someday I would go from homemaker to House Speaker. When I came to the Congress in 1987, there were 12 Democratic women. Now they're over 90, and we want more. Pelosi will serve out her two-year congressional term. The two other top House Democrats following her lead, saying they'd also step aside, paving the way for a new generation of leaders. Also today, less than 24 hours after CNN projected Republicans will take control of the House, GOP members wasted no time. This morning, Congressman Jim Jordan and James Comer left a or held a press conference illustrating their plans to investigate President Biden and his family over what they say are potential ties to foreign governments, which they say could be a threat to national security. Let's start with CNN's Mani Raju, who is on Capitol Hill with reaction to Pelosi's historic announcement and the future of Democratic leadership in the House. After two decades at the top of a party in Congress, ushering through massive legislation, the bill is passed. Winning the majority twice, becoming the first woman to lead the House, and now losing the majority for the second time as Speaker. The House will be in order. Nancy Pelosi announced she would step aside. I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. At 82, the Democrat has represented San Francisco in the House for 35 years, saying she would continue serving in a Congress whose makeup has markedly changed. When I came to the Congress in 1987, there were 12 Democratic women. Now they're over 90, and we want more. <laughs> the news prompting an immediate shakeup. 
Pelosi's current number two, Steny Hoyer, announcing that at the age of 83, he would not run for leadership. Her current number three, 82-year-old Jim Clyburn, signaling he also will let a new team ascend, paving the way for Hakeem Jeffries, a 52-year-old Brooklyn Democrat, as the likely next Democratic leader. I'm very comfortable saying I believe that every member of the Congressional Black Caucus would vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Jeffries' top two deputies could be 59-year-old Catherine Clark and 43-year-old Pete Aguilar, all expected to run in the November 30th leadership elections. It's a generational change some have long sought. I think she's a historic speaker who's accomplished an incredible uh, amount. Um, but I also think there are a lot of Democrats ready for a new chapter. The daughter of a Baltimore mayor who rose the ranks in her state party first became speaker in 2007, leading the opposition against George W. Bush over the Iraq War. Three years later, shepherding through the Affordable Care Act under Barack Obama. After her party was swept into the minority, becoming speaker again in 2019, where she battled Donald Trump, making him the only president impeached twice including after January 6th, where pro-Trump rioters stormed the Capitol and targeted the speaker. Mr. Nadler, can you imagine a caucus not run by Nancy Pelosi? Well, I hope that uh, we don't have to see that. Our Democrats are also recognizing the new political reality in Washington, with the House majority coming in, led by Republicans in January. Two key committee chairmen earlier today, Jim Jordan, James Comer, outlining their plans to investigate President Biden, as long as both his family and their overseas business dealings, focusing in on his son, Hunter Biden, as well as they said they've interviewed whistleblowers, looked at the Hunter Biden's laptop. The White House has pushed back and called these debunked conspiracy theories. And also, though, Brianna, the uh, next order of business for Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy, the Republican leader, is to get the votes to become House Speaker. Two members of the Howard Wright Freedom Caucus told me tonight that McCarthy does not have the votes to become Speaker. Adding yeah. to the drama. Manu Raju, thank you so much. As House Democrats prepare for new leaders, House Republicans are preparing for new power. This morning, GOP members of the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees made clear their plans to investigate President Biden and Biden and his family's foreign business dealings. I want to bring in CNN's Sarah Murray and CNN's Jeremy Diamond on this. So, Sarah, most of us have heard Republicans calling for these investigations. Monty was just talking about this into the president's son, Hunter, over the past few years. Today's press conference suggested actually a more widespread investigation. That's right. I think we've heard a lot about Hunter Biden, and I think what Comer as well as Jordan really want to drive home today is that they are really trying to tie this back to President Biden. They want to delve into the finances surrounding Hunter Biden, but also other members of the Biden family because they believe there could be, you know, problematic activity there. Part of their issue, though, is they've asked for a lot of information, as you can imagine, from the Treasury Department, from other, you know, individuals and agencies. And when they were in the minority, they couldn't get a lot of that. So they fired off this new round of letters today that sort of gives you a roadmap to the kind of things they're seeking. So, you know, they fired off a letter to Treasury asking for these bank reports that they believe could show some kind of suspicious activity, even though, though these kinds of reports are inconclusive and are relatively common. They fired off a letter to, you know, someone who owned a gallery where Hunter Biden's paintings are being sold, seeking information about who was buying Hunter Biden's paintings. So I think we are going to see a wide-ranging investigation, and this is just the beginning of it, Brianna. And Jeremy, how's the White House preparing for this? 
Well, Brianna, these preparations have been going on for months. My sources describe them to me as among the earliest and most comprehensive by any administration ahead of a midterm elections. They began uh, in the spring with the hiring of key lawyers uh, and communications officials who will handle the response to these Republican oversight efforts. And they continued over the summer with a small team of uh, lawyers, communication specialists, as well as legislative affairs officials combing over these hundreds of letters from Republicans, uh, going over TV interviews from some of these top Republicans. Republican lawmakers to map out where these Republican investigations are headed and how uh, the White House uh, will respond. Another thing that they've been doing is working directly with the agencies across the administration who are expected to be targets of some of these investigations. One of those meetings happened more than four months ago with top White House officials, top DHS officials sitting down together in the Roosevelt room of the White House to prepare for this oversight and for the possibility that Republicans might try and impeach uh, the uh, uh, Homeland Security Secretary. Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, they've already hired some uh, officials to handle this oversight, but I'm told over the next two months, you can expect that team to be beefed up with additional lawyers to be hired uh, in the coming months. All right, we'll be looking for that. Jeremy and Sarah, thank you so much. Let's discuss what comes next with new House leadership for the Democratic caucus with our panel here. And, you know, when I think about it sort of back in my day when I was young, I mean, (laughs) Nancy Pelosi was still in charge of the Democrats. You know, back when we were young congressional correspondents, you were a young Hill staffer. She was still there. I mean, it's hard to overstate what a momentous day this is. But also talk about this new potential lineup of Democratic leaders we're going to see. Sure. So, yes, I was I was there also. I was looking at those pictures of her when she first became speaker back in 2007. I remember covering the Hill and the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which is a huge accomplishment. Uh, for her. And even, you know, then President George W. Bush was willing to nod to her and, you know, talk about, you know, what a what a big moment it was that she had the speaker's gavel. But it's clear that there was a lot of pressure. You know, Democrats were ready to move on to this next generation. And when you tick through the ages of the people involved, including 43-year-old Pete Aguilar, who's, I think, ages, average age is much closer to that of the people at this table than perhaps the current uh, current leadership. I think it's it's indicative of that. I think the challenge is going to be, I mean, there's a reason she was in charge for as long as she was. She's really, really good at what she does. And she's a very serious, she's a heavyweight in every sense, legislatively, politically, um, the way that she's built relationships with the different factions of her of her caucus. And that's going to be the challenge for Hakeem Jeffries to live up to that. What do you guys see these next couple years as far as Democrats and Republicans, Brendan, looking like? Conflict. I mean, that's what we saw last time Republicans were in charge with a a Democratic president. And I think we can only have more of that in store. There's not much of a legislative agenda for Republicans that are going to have a maybe a four seat majority. They can't do a whole lot and there's no real overlap. So what's going to happen is a lot of infighting, excuse me, a lot of fighting with with the administration. And the the report you just showed, they have a, a balance they need to walk between feeding the base who a lot of Republicans back home want to get to the bottom of Hunter Biden. I don't know why, and I'm sure if you live in the fever swamp of the far right, that's important to you. But most people don't care about that. And so they need to also have some pretty serious oversight. And I think there are some issues where they that have been overlooked, whether it's the border or the withdrawal from Afghanistan, really important things that are worthy of getting into that Democrats, frankly, overlooked when they were in charge. But I think most of the headlines that are going to come from the next year are going hard after Biden so they can weaken him going into 2024. Because let's let's look at some of the investigations of what they're likely going to look at here. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, Hunter Biden, of course, which which you mentioned and and questioned the value in uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal. 
uh, COVID and the Justice Department investigation of Trump. You've been on the other side of investigations. You've been on the administration side of this, Stephanie. I, I wonder how you think the Biden administration will tackle this. I've been actually on both sides of it. Um, you know, I think the administration... Uh, there's a lot of uh, people who have gone through the, these wars um, inside that White House who know how to prepare for this. Um, and I just want to address one thing uh, that Brendan said. You know, they are going to try to weaken Biden with these investigations. What's going to end up happening is they're going to strengthen him. And because they're going to overreach, they're going to be talking about things that people just frankly don't care about. Um, you know, the, the, the list that you just ran through if you look deeper in there, the investigation into in the Department of Justice, you know, last night it was about um, investigating how DOJ handled the insurrectionists um, after they were arrested. Is that what the American people want to talk about just after we had this election um, where uh, democracy was lifted up, where the red wave was barely a trickle because people were re rejecting this craziness? So I think that it is going to be a lot of infighting. It is going to be a lot of investigations. I would be shocked if something real is uncovered here, particularly on uh, President Biden and his family. You know, it's interesting. The last time we were dealing with a lot of this on the Republican side was in the context of Hillary Clinton and Benghazi. And quite mm -hmm. frankly, McCarthy's first bid for speaker was right. derailed because he was willing to admit in public or did admit in public that the Benghazi investigation was political. A couple things have changed. One, Nobody seems afraid to say this is about politics anymore, yeah. right? Our culture has changed so, so that that seems to be perfectly fine. But second of all, Joe Biden's not Hillary Clinton. And, exactly. you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, you've seen Hunter Biden criticized on Fox for his struggles with addiction. There are a lot of Americans out there who identify with having a struggle like that in their own family. It's just, it's a completely different ballgame. And mm -hmm. so I think if Republicans are going to mm -hmm. approach it the way they did then, they may be in for a rude surprise. I wonder, Laura, too, if Republicans may be having their investigation plans, assuming they would go into the majority, should have looked at the election and maybe thought about if they needed to change their approach. And it seems like perhaps they have not. No, I think that the way that Republicans appear to be, and Brendan may jump in here, but the way that they appear to be reading the election results is that they want to distance themselves, some of them, from former President Trump. They blame him for those losses as opposed to necessarily what those candidates that he supported were running on, which candidates like Carrie Lake and others were running on full-on election denialism, and then they lost their races, the ones that were running statewide. Now, a lot of election deniers were re-elected to the House, and some were re-elected to gubernatorial to the governor's mansion. But again, they, they appear to only be saying their response is maybe it's time for us to distance ourselves from the former president, not necessarily change what exactly they're running on. And the other thing I would just note is that um, the Wall Street Journal and other um, news outlets have looked heavily into the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden potential uh, potential for the president to have known about the ventures and the business dealings. And the Wall Street Journal last year found that the president, after looking over all the corporate records, did not have any involvement in that. Um, so I think that, again, whether or not House Republicans, it seems as though they're admitting that they're it's very politically motivated. Jim Jordan said that exactly what Casey is saying, as well as Comer, who's looking to uh, take control of the Oversight Committee. And I just want to, you know, you asked, shouldn't they have re adjusted after the election results? They didn't learn anything from those um, election results. They're still pursuing this crazy oversight path. I think the reason for that is because Kevin McCarthy, the, you know, purported leader, is concerned about winning 
his caucus election to be speaker and not really thinking about the long term and how this affects the party and their long-term prospects. And that's what they're going to be caught up with for, for several weeks now, uh, which is a really dangerous place to be. That's the big difference between Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi. She would never let this happen. I want to look ahead to 2024 because Jake asked former Vice President Mike Pence about his future political ambition during the CNN town hall last night, and this is what he said. I think we'll have better choices Better choices than so, my old running mate. I, I think America longs to go back to the policies that were working for the American people. Better choices. Okay, just say it. Just say it, Mike Pence. Are you one of those choices? I mean, what do you think, Brendan? This is a very difficult balancing act for Mike Pence because he likes to talk about all the achievements of the Trump-Pence administration. But, of course, if you're going to run against Donald Trump, you have to make the case of why he was bad. And I just don't know how you're able to do that. And I don't know who Mike Pence... Look, I would love if Mike Pence challenges Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump would be a terrible candidate for us, nominee for us. But I just don't know how he excites anyone. I don't know how he can successfully wage a campaign against the person whose administration he was a part of. So uh, God bless him. I hope he does it. But that's a a a, tough road. It's a really tricky line to walk for Pence, partly because... He was all all in until January 6th, basically, right, until the end. And so that has alienated a lot of people in the, you know, to the extent there's a never Trump wing in the party or people who don't like Trump, that's alienating. The people who've been most successful in the kind of current either post-Trump or semi-Trump Republican Party are people who have sort of tolerated him, pushed back against him when required, but mostly tried to talk about other things. And the, ba- the Trump base, I think there's some openness. Maybe they would vote for Brian Kemp, but they think Mike Pence is a traitor. So the, it's a really tough place. For the right for kind of person, could it be an opportunity or no? What do you think? Uh, I think that, look, a, a Republican like Mike Pence, it's, he, on one hand, I thought it was his answers to Jake were really awkward when Jake was trying to ask him, aren't you angry? Aren't you still angry? Your family was put in danger. And he really didn't have a a full-throated answer on that. It was much more about forgiveness and much more about clearly that he's trying to maybe potentially be able to win the Trump base. And right now, I think that those base of voters are still with the former president or someone more in the mold of Ron DeSantis. If it's it's Mike Pence or Ron DeSantis, someone has to go at Donald Trump, and he wasn't willing to do it last night. Yeah, it is very tough, and we see what happens when that happens. Thank you all. Really appreciate the conversation. Mike Pence also told CNN why he will not appear before the January 6th committee, and I'll be asking a committee member for a response about the panel's likely final days. Plus, a deadly shootout today off the coast of Puerto Rico involving suspected drug smugglers and U.S. border agents. The tragic end to this one ahead. System overload and now a major move by Ticketmaster canceling sales for Taylor Swift's new tour. In our world lead, Ukrainian investigators have joined the probe into the deadly missile strike inside Poland on Tuesday, a source telling CNN. This is where learning Russian forces have carried out rocket and artillery attacks along the front lines in seven different regions across Ukraine just today. As CNN's Sam Kiley reports, constant strikes from Russia is a brutal reality even Ukrainians in liberated areas cannot escape from. Alia's proud of her garden, proud of her home and proud to have lived through eight months of Russian occupation. Now free, her focus is on the future, although the present's still dangerous. Look at this, how we fortified our basement with my old man, because they shoot from there, over the river. There are some shrapnel pieces from our yard. 
Do you see how sharp they are? The day before yesterday. Thank God we survived all this. We hid in the cellar for ages. Two days ago, there were a lot of explosions, and today it's calm. There's no power, no water supply, but plenty of resourcefulness. We are storing water here, in drums. The summer under Russian occupation wasn't wasted. Tomato juice, salads pickled in a jar, canned grapes, tomatoes, juices, and even canned currants. You're obviously a born survivor. Well, I am. He's the one who's scared, and I'm not. Just a few days ago, this village was the scene of ferocious fighting as the Russians were driven out of this part of the Kherson region. The problem for those who remain behind, the villagers here, is that their war is not over because the Russians are easily within range and hit this place on an almost daily basis. In the next village, the few locals left were too anxious about a Russian return to speak on camera and we were told to stay out of sight. Five Russian rockets landed here this morning, we were told. Liberated roads and tracks are still heavily mined, slowing efforts to rebuild. Russia has retreated from here, but has shifted much of its effort to attacking Ukraine's power grid and infrastructure. Civilian targets are a priority for long-range Russian missiles. Dozens of missiles. Civilian sites are the main target. Russia is waging war on electricity and heat for people by blowing up power plants and other energy facilities. Fifteen civilians hospitalized after this strike in Dnipro. Temperatures are falling, millions are often without power. In the cities, that is a looming nightmare. Here, they may be better prepared. Now, of course, uh, the Russians are under attack from uh, Ukraine in the east, where the fighting has got very, very intense uh, in the, near the Donetsk Oblast. Uh, the things have gone a little quieter, notwithstanding the bombardments across the river in Kherson province, but the Ukrainians are still making these desperate, desperate pleas to try to get more anti-aircraft equipment in from NATO and other Western allies so that they can tip the balance in the air in their favour as they are on the ground. All right, Sam Kiley, live for us in Ukraine. Thank you for that report. And just in, the chairman of the January 6th committee has just commented on the panel's final report, what this could mean for its unfinished business as Republicans prepare to take control of Congress next. In our national lead, a college community desperate for answers five days now after the brutal killings of four University of Idaho students. Police insist they can't say if they've identified a suspect or if there is still a threat to the community. As CNN's Veronica Miracle reports, we're learning two roommates were in the house at the time of the killings. We do not have a suspect at this time, and that individual is still out there. Many questions and fear in Moscow, Idaho. The four were stabbed with a knife, but no weapon has been located at this time. Ava Driftmeyer lives nearby. We're 100 feet away. You know, how close was this person? Are they still around? Investigators say the attacks took place in the early morning hour Sunday, sometime after 1.45 a.m. But they didn't find the victims, Ethan Chapin, Zaina Kronodal, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Goncalves, until that afternoon when a 911 caller reported an unconscious person. 
There's quite a bit of blood in the apartment, and you know, it's a pretty um, traumatic scene to find for dead college students in a residence. The prosecuting attorney telling NBC police do know who the 911 caller is, but will not release their name or information they received. The investigators are trying to ascertain why there was a delay and uh, what what actually occurred, what was heard. Police say there were no signs of forced entry in the home. The evidence inside of the home leads us to believe that somebody targeted these individuals for some reason. Law enforcement says surveillance video showing two of the victims ordering from a food truck that night is being used to establish a timeline. Two of the victims attended a campus party. The two who visited the food truck had earlier gone to a bar in downtown Moscow. Police say the two roommates home at the time of the stabbings did not witness the attacks. They were not injured and that these two roommates um, actually had fully cooperated with detectives and have assisted in the investigation. Are they considered suspects? They haven't been ruled out. We are not just focusing just on them. We're focusing on everybody that um, may be coming and going from that residence. The campus now virtually empty. Students excused from attending classes and students also saying their sense of security has now been shattered. And the fact that there's no answers is like the worst feeling ever. Like I know all of us are just waiting to get out of here as fast as we can. Brianna, here at this scene, we have seen investigators combing through evidence, taking photos inside the apartment. It remains a very active scene here. Of the people that are still in the area, they say that the only reason that they are here is to wrap up their business and get home as quickly as possible. Many of them saying that a lot of their neighbors have left out of fear and they're getting out as soon as they can. Brianna? Just so senseless. Veronica Miracle, thank you for that report. Also in our national lead, Lieutenant Mariano Pargas has resigned from the Uvalde Police Department, the city's mayor tells CNN. Pargas's resignation comes ahead of a rare Saturday special meeting that was called by the city to decide his fate. New audio obtained by CNN showed Pargas knew children were alive in Robb Elementary last May and needed to be rescued, but failed to have officers intervene. And ahead, Ticketmaster's major move today after a system overload for Taylor Swift tickets. This just in to CNN and our politics lead. January 6th committee chairman Benny Thompson says the panel is expecting to publish its final report by early next month. He's also criticizing former Vice President Mike Pence's decision to not cooperate with their investigation, calling his refusal harmful for democracy. With us now is Democratic Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren of California, who is also on the January 6th committee. Congresswoman, thank you so much for being with us this evening. We appreciate it. Of course. So with this report coming in early December, will the committee make criminal referrals to DOJ then? Well, that is something that we have not yet decided. As I think I've mentioned before, a subcommittee of the committee, which is all the lawyers, are going through the evidence and uh, trying to reach a conclusion on what we would recommend to the full committee. And that process has not yet been completed. Okay, and I I also wanna ask you about what's really uh, quite a momentous day here in Washington. You served in Congress alongside Nancy Pelosi for 28 years. You both represent districts in the Bay Area. You were actually the first person that she embraced and spoke to after her announcement today. Uh, this is, uh, and I'm sure you feel this, the end of an era today. Yep. 
She is the most effective speaker in the history of the United States. Um, someone I consider a friend, uh, someone who has been a role model for many of us. Uh, she is a fabulous uh, speaker person. Um, you know, I respect her decision, of course, but the Congress uh, will uh, really just not be the same without her leadership. She is an amazing person. And we are expecting it to very much change because you have Congressman Hoyer and Clyburn who are also leaving leadership. Hakeem Jeffries unopposed so far to succeed Pelosi. And it, right. it appears that Catherine Clark and Pete Aguilar, and I do want to mention uh, we accidentally put up the wrong photo of Pete Aguilar, an incorrect photo for which I want to apologize for earlier in the show. Um, those are the folks right now who appear poised to take those leadership positions if they continue to uh, move in that direction unopposed. When it comes to Hakeem Jeffries, do you support him? And how do you think he would change things for the caucus? I think he's very able. Um, and I think he will be elected um, minority leader. And, you know, the, since we're in the minority, it's not speaker. Um, I'm glad that Nancy Pelosi will be around uh, because I think she, for all of us, uh, she's got something to add by way of mentorship. Uh, as I say, Hakeem is an enormously talented person, um, but stepping in Nancy Pelosi's shoes, well, there's stilettos, so <laughs> Hakeem will not be doing that. But it's, you know, it's a big job. And uh, I think we're a team here on the Democratic side, and we'll all be working together uh, in the interests of the American people. And, and back to the uh, January 6th committee, what impact can the committee have before it's expected to basically die with this new Congress? Well, you know, uh, so select committees only live for the duration of the Congress. That was always true of this select committee, and we've known it from the very beginning. Uh, we are aiming to get our report done. I'm glad to hear that Chairman Thompson said it'll be done in uh, early December. I think that's aspirational. We're working very hard doing editing, but certainly will be done next month. And uh, I think uh, it will be useful for the American people and for history. We're also going to make available the evidence that we have acquired over these many months. And I think that will also be uh, very useful for people, whether or not every element is incorporated into the actual report. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence was speaking with our Jake Tapper about testifying before the committee. And this is that moment from the town hall last night. Congress has no right to my testimony. Congress doesn't report to the White House. The White House doesn't report to the Congress. And I, I truly do believe in defense of the separation of powers and to avoid what would be a terrible precedent. What's your response to that? Well, I, I think it's pretty ridiculous, really. Um, he has had, if it's a separation of powers issue, he wouldn't have had his chief of staff, his counsel, and all his other top people come over and speak to us. Uh, he knows, I would hope, I, uh, you know, the former vice president is not a lawyer, but um, that argument is, is not correct. Uh, former presidents have come over. I mean, um, numerous former presidents have testified before the Congress, and certainly he could have done so. Uh, we, we were working with his counsel over 
an extended period of time to try and work it out. I assume that that is now off the table. And given that it is almost the end of November, that's probably the last word. But I think it's an unfortunate decision on his part. You mean he wouldn't have allowed them or blessed them uh, to come speak to the committee, I'm assuming, is sort of your perception of what happened there? Well, if, if it's a separation of powers issue, not only do you not come, but your chief, mm-hmm. you know, your chief of staff and your counsel and everyone else doesn't come. And he made them amply available to us. So the separation issue, I don't think, holds any water. He doesn't want to come. I think it's a mistake on his part. I think it cheats history of his story. But uh, there you have it. Democratic Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren of California, thank you so much for being with us. You bet. And again, just a quick apology to Congressman Pete Aguilar for an incorrect graphic that incorrectly identified him earlier in the show. CNN is also live across the border in Mexico. The confusion, the misinformation and false hope as migrants try to desperately get into the U.S. In our national lead, a U.S. Customs and border agent is dead, killed today in a shootout with suspected drug smugglers. Customs officials say a total of three agents were shot as they came upon a boat off the coast of Puerto Rico this morning. The two injured agents are in a San Juan hospital. One of the alleged drug smugglers was killed and another has been arrested. And we're back with our world lead. Homeland Security officials are shoring up resources along the southern border ahead of Title 42 ending next month. The Trump-era immigration policy activated during the pandemic has been used to send millions of migrants who crossed into the U.S. back to Mexico. CNN's David Culver is in Mexico, just over the border from Texas. So, David, what are you hearing from migrants waiting to seek asylum? Brianna, there is a lot of frustration. There's a lot of anger. These are some of the folks, by the way, in this encampment trying to get to what has become their makeshift home. And I think there's just uncertainty overall. Before I show you some of the images that we gathered earlier, take a look at this. This is one of the encampments. It's got hundreds of tents. Some of these folks have been set up for several weeks. It stretches all the way down on the Mexican side of the river, and they just wait. Now, yesterday was an interesting day because in the past 24 hours, they had estimated about 3,000 people who were in these tents, many families, and they say two-thirds of that, as soon as they heard about the judge's ruling, decided to go across the river. And you can see some of the images. You can see folks who are making that trek. It really, in this part of the river, isn't all that dangerous to get across. But what they tell you is, as soon as they step on to U.S. soil, they're really not sure what they're going to encounter. Because, as we know, Title 42, this policy is still in place. They could still be expelled if it's going to be held against them and, and they're seen as illegally crossing into the U.S. And so it's a frustrating matter for them to try to navigate right now. And we caught up with one family, the family uh, of four kids. They made it here from Venezuela, crossed over seven different countries, four months, and they showed us their place and described their conditions. Take a listen. ¿Cómo eran las condiciones? La verdad, empezamos a dormir en el piso, en los cartones, y nos regalaron una calpa. Inicialmente, they started with just a box to stay in, and, and then eventually una carpa, ¿no? Like, eventually they got into a tent. And you can see, across the border, you actually have the U.S. Border Patrol there. They're standing by and actually helping some of the folks get to line 
and, and figure out how to register, how to be processed, and how to eventually make it either into the country or get sent back here, Brianna. David Culver from the border, thank you so much for showing us the conditions there. Uh, celebrities are facing lawsuits and a disgraced CEO showing very little remorse. New developments in the collapse of the FTX crypto exchange next. In our money lead, Ticketmaster won't be able to shake it off. In fact, they're kind of the anti-hero in this one. The ticket sales company says it has to cancel tomorrow's general sale for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour due to extraordinarily high demand. This move comes as more than 2 million tickets were sold during the pre-sale for the concert, leaving an insufficient number of tickets left for the general sale. The debacle is stirring up outrage across the country among Swifties and politicians, including Senator Amy Klobuchar, who says she has serious concerns about Ticketmaster's operations. And now to the dramatic rise and fall of crypto exchange FTX. Its CEO resigned the same day the company, once valued at $32 billion, filed for bankruptcy. And now that exec, just 30 years old, and celebrities who endorsed FTX are being sued. CNN's Bryn Gingrass has more on the company's sudden collapse and the shockwaves that are hitting the crypto market. With FTX, I have everything I need to buy, sell, and trade crypto safely. Steph Curry, Tom Brady, Giselle Bunchen. Celebrities now caught up in the swift collapse of FTX trading. They're among the defendants in the class action lawsuit for their promotion in the failed cryptocurrency exchange. If you're a celebrity, you regularly do endorsements. You endorse uh, uh, sports drinks, you endorse uh, tennis shoes. Financial instruments are different. Uh, and so going out and saying that a financial instrument is, is great isn't the same thing as going out and saying that a sports drink is great. And that creates liability. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, the lead defendant in the suit, once a superstar in the industry who Fortune magazine hailed as possibly the next Warren Buffett. Now, his alleged business practices drawing comparisons to Bernie Madoff. It's not entirely clear who's actually getting the money and what's being done with the money. Yeah, it begins to look like a Ponzi scheme. The company, once estimated by Forbes at $32 billion, imploded in just 10 days when an industry publication questioned FTX's inner workings. Setting off a downhill spiral of investors quickly pulling out funds, the company filing for bankruptcy, investigations, and accelerating chaos in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, an unregulated market where consumers trade digital currency not backed by a central bank. In some ways, this collapse of FTX is the Lehman Brothers moment of the crypto world. Um, It is a classic financial crisis. The new CEO, now leading FTX through Chapter 11, saying in a court filing he's never seen, quote, such a complete failure of corporate controls. This from the same man who managed Enron through its bankruptcy. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Dick Durbin demanding documents from FTX to explain how billions just disappeared. How much of this is effectively an empty you know, product? For his part, Bankman Freed taking to Twitter saying he effed up. And in an interview with a Vox reporter last night showing little remorse for money lost, saying he's trying to fundraise to pay customers, but it's likely the billions will never be recouped. 
Now, we reached out to a number of celebrities named in that suit, didn't get a response. A larger scale, Brianna, this is having a ripple effect, mainly just in the crypto world. Financial experts are hopeful that doesn't change, but it's still unclear what the aftermath of this is going to look like. Washington, well, it's taking notice and speeding up the prospect of instilling regulations. Brianna. Bryn Gingrass, thank you for that report. And our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 